Ready, Freddy? Yeah. All right. Hello and welcome to Better Than the Movie. I am Jeanette. She is Tamika, and we are here talking books. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. How are you? I am suffering through the back end of this cold, but you know, we're going to be all right. Girl, I have a small rant in my spirit, as I do sometimes. <laughs> so, you know how, um, okay, this last week I have been feeling very off, like kind of chest pains, kind of stomach weirdness. And at first I was like, I'm fine, I'll be okay, but it wasn't going away. And so, have you ever gone to, like, oh gosh, I'm having chest pains or this crazy whatever, and I need to go to the ER. This is not right. Mm-hmm. And then you look online, and it says, if you have these symptoms, you need to go to the ER. Mm-hmm. And you get there, and they look at you like, why are you here? Why are you here? And also, <laughs> and also, your symptoms kind of subside, and you're like, oh, really? <laughs> really? So, yeah. And so, I just want to know if any of our listeners are in the medical field like when do we go to the ER and not get that look from you because (laughs) (laughs) I watch enough Grey's Anatomy to know and ER I watch enough medical drama to know that everything that is life-threatening isn't always like dramatic so sometimes you feel like okay they said if my chest hurts and my arm is tingling, I should go in. <laughs> and then you get there and they're looking like, you ain't dying, why are you here? And so then that causes people not to go because then they treat you like, oh, why are you wasting our time? Am I alone here? No, you're definitely not alone here. I've had that happen quite a few times, which is why I don't really like to go to the ER. Um, because every time I feel like they're looking at me like, girl, whatever you think you're going through, it's nothing and you're fine. And one of the times I actually went through that, it ended up being like a cyst on one of my ovaries had burst, mm-hmm. but they didn't figure that out. Right. And so then they tell you, like, when you do finally come up with something, it's like, well, why didn't you go to the, well, because y'all make me feel like a jackass for exactly. even going in here. <laughs> so anyway, I have some like stomach things. I think it might be an ulcer, but then I don't know. It might be a virus or it might just be a hypochondriac. Who knows? Anyway, that was my little off-topic rant of the week. (laughs) Well, whatever it is, I hope you're feeling better soon. Me too. Me too. Because nothing is worse than not feeling yourself and not knowing what it is. Amen. Let's just hope. I got a fresh stack of LaCroix, so hopefully that'll knock it on out. (laughs) Um, let's talk about you. You feeling all right? You feeling better? Um, well, you know, I am alive. I didn't Amen. feel like I was alive earlier this week, um, which is why the show got delayed because I I don't even remember Tuesday. Mm. Um, apparently I did have enough sense to wake up and call in to work because I was sure that I slept the entire, like, 24 hours. Oh, gross. I might have, like, woke up here and there to, like, randomly look at my phone or... But I don't remember being awake for more than, like, 20 minutes at a time. Mm, mm, and mm. even during the times I was awake, like, I don't think I was, like, fully lucid, so... Yeah. 
I hate that. Oh, and especially when you sleep like that, and then you just feel like I should be feeling better, but now I feel like a piece of shit who's been sleeping for. Exactly. And the worst thing about it is that I was out of PTO. So I had to take a doc day for the day that I was off of work because I couldn't make it up. So, you know, that's always fun to not get paid for a day in December when you spend so much money. That sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, oh, well, enough about that mess. So, folks. You can find us on the internet. Um, on Twitter, we are at BetterThanTM. That's where we post all sorts of exciting news, like the show will be delayed a few days, or um, links. Sometimes we put deals, um, ebook deals um, that we find, any kind of cool stuff. Sometimes we just ran a little bit. Uh, so definitely follow us there. Again, it's at BetterThanTM. Facebook, we Facebook. It's Facebook.com slash BetterThanTheMovie. And you can also find... Um, Past shows and what else is there? Show Past notes, shows. links, some of the things that we talk about. Sometimes people ask us, what was that book, blah, blah, blah. Those things are usually online, I mean, on the show notes, or um, any kind of like links to the articles that we talk about are there, too. So betterthanthemovie.com. And then if you would like to, if you're not in the email uh, writing business <laughs> and you're not into it, you can always give us a call and just leave a message at Google Voice. Um, our Google Voice number is 210-816-2886. Oh, and if you do want to email us, it's better than the movie at gmail.com. So those are all the places you can find us on the World Wide Web. Please <laughs> contact us if you are so inclined. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's get into the lit news section. Um, all right, the first thing I guess we can talk about: uh, Misty Copeland's writing a health and fitness book. I saw. I did not yeah. know that until you threw this threw this up. Yeah, um, I I knew she had written a memoir um, that I haven't read, but um, I think uh, this book is should be interesting because it's saying that like she's gonna have like meal plans and exercise stuff in there. Yeah. Um, and the only thing that gave me pause is like motivational advice for dancers and non-dancers. Uh, yeah, but anyway. <laughs> There's a whole lot of room between dancers and non-dancers. <laughs> <laughs> and what those um, body types look like, what those fitness levels are. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. That was the only, like I love Misty Copeland. I stand for Misty Copeland. Um, I have not been able to see her in person, but, you know, thank God for you too. And um, love what she's doing. Her other book, the children's book, um, I always want to say Firestarter, Firebird, <laughs> is um, really good. I've never read her memoir, but I am excited that she's writing this book. I just don't know how useful it will be to the common person. I agree, um, but it sh- it should be interesting to say the least. I think I'm gonna check it out. Um, it's not scheduled for release until 2017, so she's signing those deals though. Get to the yeah. money, Misty. <laughs> she's got her. It's with um, Hachette. Hachette. Yeah, Grand Central Life and Style is their imprint 
So that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, you don't really hear that much from, like, the dance community um, in terms of memoirs or, like, health and fitness. And that's kind of, those are the bodies that a lot of people are like, good grief. Like, it's not even fair what is happening. Like, how did you get your body like that? Because Misty Goplin is not, I mean, I've never, I'm sure she's probably looks different in person, but every image I've ever seen of her, she's not, you know, skin and bones ballet dancer. Um, She's deaf or ballerina to ballet dancer. She's very, she's very um, healthy and muscular, you know? So, I mean, I would, I would be interested in, in reading it and seeing what is Misty Copeland eating? How much ballet do I need to do in a day to get those legs? (laughs) Right. So how many bar classes do I need to sign up for? <laughs> yeah, so it'll be neat. I mean, you know, shouts to Misty Copeland for, for bringing, you know, dance to the mainstream and being a first black. So is that what we call it? That sounds kind of... Okay, I didn't know. Shonda calls it. We'll get there. But yeah. <laughs> I am excited for her, and congratulations to Misty Copeland, and we will be looking for, if you have not checked out her books, again, they are Life in Motion, and Unlikely Ballerina, which I have not read her book, but I've read it on Wikipedia, and I know she started doing ballet hella late in life, <laughs> um, and still kills it. It's just like we have a, um, a baseball player on the Kansas City Royals, his name is Lorenzo Kane, and he didn't start playing baseball until he was in high school. And so it's always interesting to see, like, these black kids, <laughs> they start doing some event activity when they're 13 or 14 years old, sometimes older than that. And then they end up being, like, the best in their in their field when they're playing or dancing or whatever alongside kids whose parents have had them doing it since they were three with, like, private tutors. And <laughs> it's always really, really cool to see. Uh, where do you want to go next? Let's talk about the Maya Angelou documentary, Kickstarter. Okay. Well, I think it's finished now. It was current <laughs> when okay. the show was originally supposed to be um, uh, put together or whatever. But um, so these two people, Bob Hercules and Rita Colburn Wack, um, have compiled a documentary about Dr. Maya Angelou. Um, that's slated to be released next, uh, gosh, I think it's next February it's supposed to be okay. released, because they're trying to do it in, um, uh, in conjunction. Month. Nah, they're no. trying to do it in conjunction with um, a PBS uh, series, I think it's called American Masters, and I think they had started this Kickstarter in order to finish up some things, because they had started it and had like filmed... Um, interviews with important people in her life as well as uh, film uh, things with her prior to her death. Okay. And then, yeah, because it says, we are in a logistical time crunch to finish the documentary for its broadcast premiere on the PBS series American Masters. Hmm. Yeah, so um, it says, we were able to interview a vibrant array of close friends, family, celebrities, academics, and political figures who share intimate insights into Dr. Angelou's life and who were deeply affected by her work. Some of the interviews included um, President Bill Clinton, former President Bill Clinton, uh, Oprah Winfrey Common, and Dr. Angelou's son, Guy Johnson, plus many more. Well, that's cool. It looks like they made it with money to spare. 
Yeah, they they were overfunded. So that's very nice. It's always interesting to me. Like, I'm not really like well versed in Kickstarter and how it works and what types of projects are appropriate for Kickstarter. But it always just sometimes things are getting like I would never think that they would there wouldn't be anybody that would want to fund anybody that would want to fund um, Maya Angelou and that documentary about her. Do you know what I mean? Like, like some things are give me gotcha kind of. Yeah. Like, why would you, but no, 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 not, not in that respect. Like, why did they have to come to Kickstarter? You know what I mean? I think that they had run out of the grants that they had already. Okay. That's what happens with like a lot of these projects, especially when it's something like this. Mm -hmm. Um, generally like the filmmakers apply for grants and all this stuff and then once they've reached like the end of the road so to speak with their funding but they still have different things they have to do because i think with this like it was stuff that they had to do regarding like editing and colorization and crap like that or whatever and so they came to kickstarter like hey we've done all this but we still need to do x y and z okay can y'all contribute to get us there Okay, I understand. So it's not that the project wasn't funded. It was just they needed more to make it. Yep. Okay. Well, congratulations to them, and I look forward to seeing it. You know, Maya Angelou is one of those people that I forget sometimes that she's gone just because it feels like she's just one of those larger-than-life people. And she's always been there. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Kind of like Oprah or like Michael Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) So. Yeah, I, I always saying. I always get that, like, oh yeah, that's right. She's not with us anymore. I'm glad that got made. I can't wait to see it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right. So speaking um of Oprah, since you just said her name, she yeah, with is... the program. <laughs> she is publishing a memoir mm-hmm. that's <laughs> called The Life You Want. Oh, that will yeah. be released in January 2017. And in conjunction with the announcement of her memoir, Flatiron Books has also um, announced that she will be having a nonfiction imprint, which I'm not exactly excited about. (laughs) Okay. Which one are you not excited about? Either. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So here's the thing. If the memoir is really going to be like the nitty gritty and not one of those I made it through so can you type things mm-hmm. then I'm here for it but if it's just going to be like platitudes and the last page of O Magazine then I'm not here for it like she's oh. you know like if she's going to be saying all the same stuff that she's already said then there's no point Oprah lives in platitudes. Like she, is, she speaks in platitudes. It's her not. That's her first language. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to be surprised, but I feel like Oprah is very smart and very savvy, and she already knows um, what we're thinking. Cause she remember she wrote that like best life now, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a compilation of the back page of Oprah magazine, and then it was also. Um, if you've ever saw the 20th anniversary DVDs, yep. um, she tells her story quite extensively. So I feel like, okay, there's not a whole lot that we don't know about Oprah, um, about Oprah's story. But I think that she's smart in that I don't feel like she's going to recreate the 
same thing that she's already, you know what I mean? I don't think she's going to give us what she's already given us. I'm being very, very uncharacteristically optimistic here <laughs> because <laughs> I just feel like Oprah doesn't never really have to write a memoir, right? And so, and then Kitty Kelly already did it for her, right? Okay. <laughs> so it's kind of like, is she, I don't think she's out of touch and unaware enough to give us what she's already given us. So I'm being very optimistic and hopeful. See, I feel like the memoir is just a vehicle for the imprint. Well, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Hey, I thought like, she was smart. <laughs> like, so I'm not expecting much. Mm-hmm. And I, as far as the imprint goes, the reason why I'm not expecting much is because I don't want it to be like a whole bunch of books by Dr. Phil and Dr. Dwayne Dwyer and Brene Brown. You know what I mean? I think she will be the person that will give us people's memoirs and stories that people that who ha- who have not given us their stories. Like we might get a uh we might get a real Beyonce book out of this or we might get a Tina Knowles book out of this or we might get the story of some awesome doctor who solved medical problems in Africa. Like, I'm thinking more on I'm that I'm so level. glad you got on the rose-colored glasses because I, I really don't do. see it. I do. I don't I think mean, we're getting Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil is on his last leg. I don't think we're getting Wayne Dwyer. She's given those people so much. You know what I mean? I don't say, I'm not, okay, let me back up. I won't say that they won't be there, but I also think that we'll be able to, that she'll probably choose some really interesting stories. Because as critical as I've been of her book club list, she's got some gems on there as well. Like, I think she, I think I am more optimistic about this than I usually am about anything else. So I've been side-eyeing her ever since, um, I think it was last year's Hollywood Reporter, like, Actresses Roundtable. And she said something about, like, America not being something to the point where America can't accept people who aren't who are different from them. And Mm -hmm. so that's why she promotes the things that she promotes. And I feel like this imprint will be a lot of that again. So it's going to be a lot of the same shit. I don't know. I don't think she's wrong. I don't think she's she's not wrong. But when you have the power to change things, then why don't you? But do you think that Oprah does it? Okay, so I don't want to go into this huge does she or doesn't she. I think that Oprah does what the hell she wants to do. and I. But I don't think that, because I hear a lot of criticism from black people from about Oprah that I don't think is entirely fair. And I've done it myself. Like even saying she doesn't put on a lot of black people, well, she, I think she does. But I also don't. I also think she's one of those people that she's like, y'all are not gonna tell me, <laughs> um, or you're not gonna dictate how I use my platform. And I think that's just whether we agree with it or not. In a way, I kind I respect it because it's very much like, oh, if I want to talk about, you know. Five Mexican women <laughs> um, who did blah blah blah. Then that's what I'm going to use my platform for. And who are you to say that I should give it to somebody else? Because now I would feel a different way if she never gave any shine to black people like some others, or um, if she wasn't doing things in the black community. I would feel a way. But I just feel like Oprah is kind of what 
You know what I mean? I feel like she just kind of is what she is, and she's never really changed from that. See, I don't even think it's about giving shine to black people or whatever. Just give shine to interesting shit. Like, that's what I'm oh, saying. Oh, well, like, yeah. I don't, but... you know, like, I don't, it doesn't have to be necessarily just she got to put on, you know, Renee from the block or whatever. Like, yeah. no, but just, like, stop regurgitating the same kind of boring shit. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I guess it remains to be seen. I just, I go back and forth about Oprah. On one hand, I, you know, interesting is subjective, too. So, sometimes I'll think something is really cool she's doing, and the rest of the world is like, yeah, we're not watching that shit. <laughs> so, so, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, I, don't belief, wanna... I thought belief was cool as hell, but I ain't seen nobody really talking about it. Right. Like, I thought it was different, <laughs> right? It was different. It told some really cool stories. Yeah. Some of them, you know, took my thug down. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, but people didn't really get into it. Didn't and, you really know, get into it, yeah. That's, again, that's subjective. But then, this is also, like, our community, and especially our peer group, is the ones that go on and on and on about content and blah, 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 but they tune into M- to Hate Watch Empire every week. So, we won't go there. Yep. But <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna go ahead and moonwalk right past all of that. Moving right along. <laughs> let's do that. Okay. So, um, let's see. White men. White men are the minority on this year's biggest year in book list, apparently. Oh, no. Tell us more. Say it ain't so. Yeah. So, apparently, um, in every book list besides the Washington Poets, post best of 2015 which i ranted about on our twitter white men are in the minority um slate's laura miller only has four white men out of 10 picks her colleague katie waldman only has two buzzfeed which i'm not shocked at there are only four men out of 24 and then at the guardian um white men comprise a third of the best fiction list um, and the article just goes on to basically say that most of the books that um, dominated uh, the conversation this year uh, were, I don't want to say steeped in rhetoric about racism, but they talked about American racism. Um, obviously, Between the World and Me is one, Claudia Rankine's Citizen, um, and Paul Beatty's The Sellout, which I haven't read yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just saying like a lot of uh, they call them women pin juggernauts uh, were cropping up on the best books of the year list as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. And another oh. thing I thought was interesting, it's saying that a lot of the big 2015 books were from internet darlings <laughs> and, yeah. how, and how uh, young people in publishing have like a beat on like social justice type stuff or whatever so they're more likely to read along those lines with well you know this cute but are they going to publish more (laughs) no okay (laughs) they they just saying you know hey white men are the minority this year yeah it's all even Oh, and I mean, okay, shout, let me back up. Shouts to the media outlets for at least being intentional about choosing these year endless and, you know, kind of looking at them. Um, I cringe to think that people are putting together year endless and saying, okay, we've got too many white men, <laughs> throw them out. Um, and the reason I say that is because I don't want, nobody wants that. Um, 
participation participation prize, that token prize either. Um, but that being said, the work that has been recognized is phenomenal. Like every time I think about um, Between the World and Me, I cannot believe that that man <laughs> just dropped out. He dropped out of college. Like he can just write like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that is where um, who's he can write. Shit, like that's just it. I don't know about the new whoever, but he can write, and he deserves, I think, every accolade that he's getting. If you don't love his message or you don't love who he left out or whatever, um, you can't deny the fact that he can write. He can write his ass off, and so he deserves every one of them. Same with Citizen. Citizen was different and, I think, amazing and really just powerful and it deserved it. I have not read any. Oh, Brief History of Seven Killings by my Saibu Marlon James. <laughs> Sarah gonna get you. Deserved every single accolade. Um, that's a book that is long as shit. Like a brief history. I think he was joking. Like he was giving <laughs> he was like trolling us. But you never want it. It wasn't like, oh god, when is this gonna end? It was just like, oh, there's more. Okay. Alright, Marlon. There's more. Alright. Not wrap it up, but just, okay, we're not done. <laughs> Alright. Just really, really good and powerful. Um, I have not read A Little Life, and I am going back and forth on whether or not I even want to go down that road, because every review I've ever heard is like, it's really tough and graphic yeah, I don't yeah. I don't want to read another book like that I told myself after I read An Untamed State and how that kind of stabbed me in the gut that I don't want to read another book that details one suffering um, in much of the same ways and I think A Little Life is supposed to be worse so yeah cause I think it, it involves children and yeah yeah so that's not the type of shit that I sit down and read on a regular like hey let me crack up on a good book you know about kids being abused but I'm sure it's lovely um Fates and Furies has been on my TBR for a while I mean these are just good books and I don't know I mean it, <laughs> these are I don't really know what to say about this. Like, I'm glad that they're being intentional and conscious. I hope that they are picking the best of the best um, opportunity and having the opportunity or the chance to even to do to even be considered for these lists to me is more important. Meaning, publish more minorities and women and see if this doesn't become the norm as opposed to hey, look what we did this year. Right. <laughs> um, because I think the list would have looked like this, you know, two, three, five, ten years ago if people had more opportunity. So, yeah, way to go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know. I really wanted to say, like, congrats for being fair and decent yeah. human beings. Like, I don't. <laughs> Thank you for being. For cons thank you for your consideration. Like, <laughs> right. Anyway, all right. So, <laughs> white media. Kudos. We tip our hat to you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So, you want to talk about this Marlon James article? Marlon James. Marlon James did an interview, and um, it was on the Guardian. Well, it was published in the Guardian. It says. The quote is, the headline is, Marlon James says, Wri writers of color pander to the white woman. <laughs> um, he is basically, well, they say blasting. I say calling 
a thing, a thing, um, the publishing industry for pressuring authors to write a stringent prose set in suburbia for an archetype of the white woman. Um, in this, Marlon says that he was at a Guardian event apparently, and he says, you know, this this white woman that we're that they're supposed to be writing to is an older mother or wife. She sits down and thinks about her horrible life, <laughs> and so. <laughs> Women, particularly white women, make up the vast majority of regular fiction re readers, pur purchasing two-thirds of all books sold. And this is The Guardian, so it's the UK. Almost 50% of women classify themselves as average readers compared to 26% of men. Um, he says that they dominate the market, which I think is true as evidenced by books like Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, and, yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey is the best example of that. Twilight. Twilight, yeah. Um but he's saying he talked about he used a title a term um he he referenced a book called on pandering by a novelist named claire bay watkins have you ever heard of her it's a it was a um it was an essay or like a blog post mm -hmm. that she okay. wrote okay. written mm -hmm. um and i read this blog post because it was being uh talked about widely in my timeline like a week and a half ago mm -hmm. and basically she was saying that you know female writers are expected to write toward the male lens or write um, things that are geared toward suiting male expectations rather than writing what they find to be true or whatever. The thing started because she, and I think she was a student at the time, and um, her school was hosting like some white man who was famous author, I don't even know his name, and um, she was the student host, and apparently he tried to sleep with her. Mm. And so um, when he wrote about, because he wrote like this email or like some newsletter type thing about his visit at the school, and he went on and on and on about a male writer that he had met during the time, and then he just referred to uh, the woman writer as some girl who showed him around campus. Mm. And so that fight strike. Uh, started like this firestorm um basically uh by the woman Watkins and she wrote this like whole response back like years later or whatever hmm. it was mad long and okay. it was very like too long didn't read but yes I am woman hear me roar and gotcha. write to the man <sighs> okay Okay. So he says, if I pandered to a cultural tone set by white women, particularly older white women, white female critics, I would have 10 stories published by now. Though we'll never admit it, every writer of color knows that they stand a higher chance of getting published if they write this kind of story. We just do. Um, he talked about... Um, uh, he goes on to say, I'm not drawing wild conclusions. It's something I've noticed. Sometimes we have to step ourselves, step to stop ourselves and say, this is the story I want to write, and this is how I'm going to tell it. Publication be damned. Um, he goes on to talk about what he calls cultural ventriloquism, which I thought was the b best part of this piece, um, this article, is because it's basically like when you are told to write your stories like sure you can write your story but then you have white publishers or white people in publishing um, basically dictating how that story is told, told in order to make it more palatable um, to white people to the mainstream so like in his book 
you know, he refused to do that. And if you've read A Brief History of Seven Killings, it's very dark. And so he's kind of saying, if I had let publishing, the publishers and editors and whoever, tell me how to rephrase these things, tell me how to write this story um, to make it more palatable, then I would, this would not be the same story. He says, we don't have a scene where a well-meaning and emotionally bloodied white dude decides to have a drink with the jokey black dude and they watch the sunset. I was not going to do that, and I think that is why a lot of people passed on it, you know, his first book. Do you agree with this? Do you think, what are your thoughts? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like and this is where I have an issue with like the whole diversity push movement because mm-hmm. I don't feel like it's a true diversity push movement. I feel like it's a palatable diversity push movement where, oh yeah, write the stories about people who fall under X, Y, and Z um, category. So you can write a story about a black girl who's queer and disabled, but make sure that the ways in which she go through the world makes sense for a white audience to understand. So you can't have her speak in any sort of vernacular that isn't known by the mainstream audience, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Um, There can't be any sort of like sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge inside cultural jokes Mm -hmm. because, you know, oh, no one understands that actually the people who are supposed to get it do get it. And just because you get it doesn't mean that it's not um, translating well. Yeah. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. I, like, I feel like they want every story to be the blind side. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like there's the white person that just comes in and saves the day. And I'm just like, girl, no. I think there's also very much a um, misconception, especially with white people who consider themselves to be liberal, that they get it. And then when they don't get it, they're kind of confused. Like, wait a minute, what do you mean? I don't know that reference, or I don't get that, or what do you mean that this isn't for me? Or I think that's a little too, you know, if you're writing, I've, I've heard certain stories, especially uh, like immigrant stories about the way that the parents are, you know, um, and the way that the parents parent. And it's very much like, oh my gosh, how could you, how could the parents say that to their child or do that to their child? And the people in that community who that story is about, they're just like, oh, okay, that's just kind of how it's done. And I feel like a lot of times white people want to go in and fix it. If they can't go in and fix it and say, oh, no, 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 that's not how you do it, then they want to exploit it. And I'm thinking of like the Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mom. Is that what that book was called? I think so. Okay. And how it was, and I mean, uh, the author took a part in that a little bit, and I don't know how much of that was playing the game, but um, where it was just kind of exploited that this mom parented the kids this way. When you have a lot of minority and particularly immigrant, um, you know, second generation or first generation kids who so say that's just the way we grew up. Like, my mom wasn't abusive. It sounds like it to yo ears, but to me, this is just the way things were done. Um, I've even heard or had a conversation with somebody, and we were talking about things like getting our hair pressed, where the person was so outraged, it was like, that's like torture. Like, why would you torture your child in that way? I was like, okay, girl, conversation over. Nobody's talking to you no more. Like, and so, you know, so one of my, when those people are in charge of publishing, and controlling what gets printed, I mean, yeah, write it so it sounds good to us. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. 
I know, I was just going to say, one of my favorite things to do is, especially when I read a book that's, like, literary fiction, but it's still black as hell, like The Turner House, mm-hmm. is to go and read one- and two-star reviews, um, because it's undoubtedly overwhelmingly from white women aged 26 to 47, and it's always saying that the book isn't good because they can't relate to the character. Yep. Yep. And I just think, like, well, damn, like, I can't relate to a nanny in the nanny diaries or whatever, but that's not, that's not to say that the author of that book wasn't still capable of writing well and telling a story that resonated, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's amazing that because they can't connect with something on a deep spiritual level or whatever they think that it's not good yeah because if connection was required in order to to read or enjoy or get a book then all of us would just be some illiterate some bitches because most of the books that we read or that were accessible to us have been about white people (laughs) and we just read them any damn way like I can't relate to two twin sisters from Malibu. <laughs> one is a good one, and one is a bad one. I can't relate to them, but I read 50 of them hoes because <laughs> they are good books. Like, who cares? You know? Um, anyway, I also like here where he says he feels like he disappointed some media people when they found out he wasn't from the ghettos of Jamaica and that he was middle class. Yeah, because that would have been a better story, Mr. James, if you had been this kid that came up from the gutter and you're a man Booker Prize winner. Yeah, they he, like, pulled, he pulled himself up by the bootstraps, you know. Yes. Folk love that. <laughs> you won all the prizes. You hadn't grown up right. Anyway, <laughs> so very interesting article. If you can, uh, do some Googling of some of Marlon James's interviews and podcast interviews, written interviews. Um, he is pretty you know, spot on and very bright and smart and very aware in the way that he writes as a black man, as a Jamaican man, as a gay man. Um, some of the things that he does are very intentional, but we won't talk about a brief history of Southern killings because we'll be here all day. Anyway, <laughs> quickly, <laughs> the Goodreads best books. So, stop participating in this. I don't even know why people pay this dust. Let me tell you why. America, whenever you give them a choice to vote on something, the popular vote usually, I'm going to say seven out of ten times, the popular vote fucks it up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to say, let's talk about just this one category. Yep. Like, you know, shout outs to our brown brothers and sisters, Mindy <laughs> and Aziz, for winning. That was it. That was your moment of diversity. But no, I'm sure those were lovely books. Anyway, the fiction, Ghost Set of Watchmen, had horrible reviews from just about everybody on the goddamn planet thought that Ghost Set of Watchmen was a bad book. Like, it was not finished or it wasn't edited or whatever you want to say. People did not love Ghost Set of Watchmen. It was universally panned. Universally. But it won. And I don't know how. Like a book that was universally a two that were on everybody's best of list were A Little Life and Fates and Furies. They didn't win. Um, Kitchens of the Great Midwest is supposed to be really good. I still have not read it. There ain't no black people on this. Is <laughs> a 
nonfiction. There weren't no black people in round I wrote in. I, I wrote in. Um, Edge of Florida. Firehouse, yeah. Me too. Um, you know, that was just my little scream into the void because, you know, it's just, you give, like you said, if you give the mainstream a choice, they're going to choose crazy. Like the best the biography. That, like, I feel like they just chose based on who they knew. Yeah. Like, it wasn't necessarily what was the best book because. Especially when I'm speaking about like the nonfiction one or whatever, I don't understand how Aziz won over Ta-Nehisi Coates because <laughs> I read Modern Romance. Well, okay, mm-hmm. I didn't finish it. I tried. It's sciencey, right? It's very sciencey. I actually did an audio book because I was like, I'm in this freaking class while I have to deal with all these numbers. I'll be goddamn if I'm going to read all these numbers too. And yeah. so I was like, I'll do the audio book because at least if nothing, Aziz will make me laugh because his vocal inflections. Yeah. And I probably got like five chapters in and I was just like, okay, like, when is it going to get to like, what matters? Like, I understand what he was trying to do with it. But I don't think that he necessarily nailed it. Yeah. And so I I wouldn't have put it as a best of the year. I like Aziz, and I think he's funny for the most part and interesting, I should say. Um, I could not help but wonder how much of his win was tied into the popularity of his Netflix series that's currently out. Mm. And it's not a bad show if you can get into it. Like, I know everything ain't for everybody, but I really enjoyed it. So I wonder how much of that is tied into that. Same with, you know, all of these others. I was surprised by the memoir and biography. Um, autobiography, A Work in Progress, is written by someone is named so Connor Franta, is a YouTube person? star. Girl, okay. Right. So, cool, you know, Goodreads, tighten the hell up. There's like, I didn't really want to hear from, what's his name, Chris Kyle's wife, because I'm all Chris Kyle'd out, but she has an autobiography. There's somebody that's a deflector from North Korea, which sounds really interesting. Um the girls that were trapped in the house for 15 years yeah. have a memoir. Like, um, Amanda Berry. I don't <laughs> understand. Like, no, actually, I do understand how some kid on YouTube won this because you know what happened? He put out a tweet that said, Hey guys, I'm up for good news. Book of yep. the year. Vote for me. Yeah. Yeah. Stuart Scott. I mean, okay, <sighs> fine. Right. So, <laughs> way to go, Goodreads Choice yeah. Awards for ruining your credibility. One year at a time. (laughs) Year over year. (laughs) Every year, I'm just like, so y'all just, okay. I was going to keep being trash. Cool. Yeah, so hard pass on that award list next year. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I think we got all the news in. Yes, we did. So we are covering one Shonda Rhimes book, The Year of Yes. <laughs> I love the dramatic pauses. Do you want me to? T- Let's talk about me and Shonda. Yeah, go ahead. So I didn't like her for a long time. And by that, I mean some of the things that she would say. I didn't really get Shonda. Um,. And my feelings about her went from indifference to just plain dislike. Like, she kind of sends out asshole tweets, like, but what does that even mean in today's Twitter sphere anymore? <laughs> but the, but it, I just, 
didn't like her. And I didn't, I don't know if it was her killing off all of my favorite characters for no reason. I don't know if it's the way she handled the Isaiah Washington T.R. Knight situation. I don't know if it is the way she did not hand Katherine Heigl her ass publicly. She kind of did, but I felt like she's she could have went a little harder at her. Um, but this is something about Shonda Rhimes that never really curled all the way over for me <laughs> until I read this book. And I almost want to go back. It almost made me want to go back and rewatch Grey's, including the seasons where I dropped out. Well, I wouldn't go almost. that far. Right. I said almost. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't even say almost. Um, so I went into this book not wanting to read it for many of the reasons that you just outlined. Um, and then I kept seeing people talk about it. And so I saw y'all talking about it. And then I just saw other random like literary people that I follow talking about it. So it's like, okay, I'm going to read this book. And I got maybe like four pages in and I was like, oh my God, I kind of love this. <laughs> it made me remember the first and second, you know, the early seasons of Grey's Anatomy, the way she, like, I remember, oh, this is the woman that writes Grey's Anatomy. You know what I mean? It was like, I get it. I remember her. Um, it was just that same style. Her voice is very distinct, I think, and it made me like, can we be friends? <laughs> can we be friends, um, Shonda? Um, but the book, the, the um, book begins... <laughs> It's basically focused around a year when Shonda decided that she was going to start saying yes to things. Um, she was like, I don't know, in the kitchen playing with her babies, and her sister was cooking, was it Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas yep. dinner? And her something, somebody asked her, she was like, can you believe they asked me to do this? And her sister basically just said, you never say yes to anything. And she, her sister probably meant it, but not you know, as an insult, just kind of as a, ugh, you know, and Shonda took it to heart and was very floored, like, really? Is this what you're saying? And I don't say yes to anything, anything? And so, and so she um, decided that she was going to start saying yes, and in doing that, found that she was kind of in a life slump, and she was determined to get out of it, so I don't know. I was expecting platitudes and nonsense <laughs> from Yeah, this. I wasn't I, I wasn't expecting the level of transparency that she put on the pages. Yeah, me neither. Um because I mean like she was very very honest about a lot of like personality things about herself that obviously we don't know because we don't know Shonda for real or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like even when she talked about like how uncomfortable she was with all the attention she started to get once her shows blew up, um and of course, I kind of got that a little bit, but knowing why she was so uncomfortable, um, knowing that she was uh, the true definition of an introvert and not just the Tumblr definition of an introvert, right? Um, and seeing how over the course of this year, saying yes to things that kind of scared her a bit, um, drew her out of her shell and kind of helped her enjoy life more. I mean, it went from her you know, doing something as simple as saying yes to a Jimmy Kimmel interview yeah, and sitting down and talking to him about scandal um, to her actually giving the, what was it, the graduation speech at her alma mater, Dartmouth? Yeah, Dartmouth. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. 
and like that thing was broadcast to hundreds of thousands oh. of people. Yeah, and I, I love when she talked about that too because she could have just went up there and said, you know, hey kids, you know, you've made it, you've reached the pinnacle, and now you, you know you can do it, you can conquer right. the world. But she was like, man, honest with them, basically telling them like, yo, like it's gonna suck. You should probably relish. You should have relished last night, truthfully, because after today, everything in your life is going to suck until it gets better. And how real is that, <laughs> right? Like, how real is that? If you went to undergrad and um, stayed in the dorms and you had that experience, it was probably some of the best times of your life. Like, you just, life is seems really tough then, but it's just easy. It really is compared to actual adulting. Um <laughs> And she's very, like you said, honest and transparent in a way that I didn't think she would be. And I like how she talked about her life. Like, um, I've always seen her as a very private person. Like, i never even seen pictures of her girls. It's hard to even Google pictures of her girls, and she included them. Um, and they are adorable, by the way. So cute. Um, and she um, talked about her 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 career trajectory and her how she felt um, – about motherhood, how she felt about relationships, and I didn't expect that stuff, and so she gave it, but in still kind of tying these lessons in. Um, one of the things that people really took away, or no, I think one of the things that people, including myself, or, or was looking for going into the book was kind of like, how did you do this? Like, how did you become Shonda Rhimes, and, and how, he, you know, what happened? What were those steps? And it really was like, I went to school, and I went to USC film school for graduate school, and then I started writing and I got this opportunity and I loved how she wrote the responsibility that was put on her you know the pressure Grace had to succeed and she I'm glad that she put that in there because that's one of the things that people uh, sometimes can gloss over I think Oprah even has never really said and not to my knowledge that the pressure maybe she didn't feel it but the pressure to do well like she knew Shonda knew that if I don't pull off Grey's Anatomy, if I don't pull off, the, they're never going, they're not going to give a black woman the show for another 15, 20 years. If Scandal doesn't go well, there's probably not going to be another black lead in this time slot in this format for years. And the amount of pressure, you know what I mean? Even though she's a badass, and she was like, I got this, but still, you know, yeah. you, you, can't fail. You you have to perform at that level. I mean, I don't know. The book reminded me of how well done those shows are, even though they have gotten on my damn nerves sometimes. Um, at their best, you know, it's some of the best work on TV. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, I, I never... their core, there are. I mean, I've stopped. Uh, I turned in my keys to my condo in Chandelan mm -hmm. um, because it's... it's a scandal just got ridiculous to me and I just I couldn't do it with Olitz anymore but I'm not going to deny that she does write and produce television that is riveting and that draws people in Yeah, like I couldn't get into How to Get Away with Murder but let me say that to one of my co-workers she will be like what do you mean you couldn't get into How to Get Away with Murder like she like read the boots off me when I couldn't get into like, how can you not buy into, you know, like, the cult of Shonda? And I'm like, yo, like, I get it. I'm like, well, technically, that's not Shonda's show. It's just under her production. But whatever. You know, we're right. the semantics. I'm like, I get it, though. Um, 
she's smart. Right, very. And, and I have never seen anything like Grey's Anatomy before. I mean, let's be honest. I don't think there had ever been anything on TV like Grey's Anatomy before in that you had this cast of people who were just people. And Christina Yang could have been a white girl. She could have been an Asian girl. She could have been a black girl. And I and she did it in a way that it wasn't, oh, I don't see color. <laughs> we're all one, whatever. It, but it was very much like I've never seen it done that way. I've never seen dialogue done that way. I've never seen, I mean, I watched ER all 150 seasons. <laughs> and I never saw medical drama done that way because she took the time to really tell the stories of the patients and some of them were funny and some of them were really, 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 really sad. <laughs> and, but I'd never, and, and you know, it's just, I say all that to say, you know, you have to look at Shonda Rhimes' work, you know, in a broad way that, you know, she did, it's revolutionary, you know, it changed TV, even How to Get Away with Murder, I hated that show the first season, I was like, get this shit off my screen, I don't, <laughs> why is it so dark, what is happening, but this last season, I've been just not turning the channel and kind of watching it in the background, and I get it, like, I get it, like, I could do, I could take it or leave it now, but I get the fuss by those who really, really like it, um, I love when she talked about her relationship to Christina, Christina Yang, the character, yes. um, as opposed to Sandra Oh, the actress. You know, she's super close with Sandra as well. But that whole, like, how Christina was her way of, like, getting her self out there. Like, she allowed Christina to say all of the things that she felt that she could never say. Yeah. What did she call it? The prince? The keys to the castle? The... I forgot. Her happily ever after, her whatever. Um, for Christina, it was her career, not the man. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. I mean, it tied into this thing that was all over the, the news, the blogosphere, and the, the Twitters and stuff about her piece about not being married and not wanting to be married. I, at one point, um, she was engaged, apparently, <laughs> um, to a man, and I Googled, and I was being nosy. I could not find out who that man was, but <laughs> uh, someone who she loved very much, but she just could not do it, did not want to be ever married. Um, and a lot of young women and older women <laughs> took that and were just sort of like very excited to hear somebody make that plane to say I like men, I love men, I want you to come over, but you can't stay. Like I don't, this is, you can't live here. This is our, this is my my um, space. And her, you know, her husband, her happily ever after is her shows, her career, her work. And um, that's a very real thing for like a lot of women, mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't necessarily a either have the platform to express it. Um, or B, just don't really go into it. They just let people make assumptions, Yeah, um, which I think is super interesting. I was always, I'm always taken aback by that a little bit. And it may be because I was, I started off myself as one of those women who did not want kids. Like I just was like, eh, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Hard pass. <laughs> and I did, you know, even earlier on before I fell in love, I didn't want to be married. Um, either, and so I definitely understood that. And then, but seeing it from the other side, it's just kind of like, are you sure, Shonda? You don't know, but you know. <laughs> but it's very cool, you know, to have that 
to have that voice for so many, you know, the big, we all know the big, um, the big, the finish line, the goals are supposed to be husband and kids for everybody. And she has given people the, the space to say that doesn't have to be my end all be all. Yeah. And you I mean, know like, personally, for me, I do see the husband in the future, but not so much on the shorties. Yeah. But I, you know, it's, it's amazing how people like to dictate others choices in others um lives depending on their mores values whatever Mm -hmm. um and i'm just like why don't you just let people live like my god it's not that hard like if it's not something that you necessarily agree with okay congrats to you and to be honest like no shade or nothing no ill will intended i promise but I have heard some stories about the dating world today. <laughs> Listen, it's trash. If I had to date in this in, with this whole text message, send me unsolicited pictures of your penis. Girl, it's this environment. Trash. I would probably I only communicate it. via emojis type yeah, shit. I would be single too. Sir, you are thirty eight. Why are you sending me a winky face and a pair of lips? Yeah. I don't girl, have time for this. I went to as an aside, I went to a, a like a girls' night. This is like maybe a couple of years ago. And it was like, you know, we're gonna eat and watch movies and you know, whatever. So great. I went. And I was was dying laughing because I did not know that it had become commonplace for men to send unsolicited dick pics to women. I didn't know that was a thing. And I, when they were telling me this, I was like, no, this must just be like a creep. And they're like, no, no, these are people who present themselves as very professional and nice and they like church and they look good and they smell good and we have a good day and then you just open your phone one day and bam! I didn't know it was a thing. This is how I'm giving away my age on the last time I was taking inquiries. <laughs> I don't know text messaging as part of the quarter the courting world, but I feel like if I had me today the way I am now, if I had to date, I'd be like, no, hard pass. I'm about to be a career driven, money making son of a gun because there's no way. It's trash. It's such. Oh trash. my god. All right, we've been toured a little We bit. have, but, you know. <laughs> um, no, but back to what Shonda was saying, that, that she's saying that her, her world. And then, you know, it sounds like it's her and her girls, and it's just kind of like she likes that. This is this very feminine space, and this is our space, and you can come, but you can't stay, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I did enjoy that. And it's really refreshing to hear because a lot of men – take the stance that they're not going to get married and that's usually okay. Yeah, um, like the bachelor, the whole like life, lifelong bachelor thing is embraced by society as a whole, but let a woman say that she wasn't one going to get married and oh, you hate men. That's what the so feminist, much, the feminist so much, <laughs> so much so that like George Clooney, it was kind of like, you're getting married? Why? Oh you know? People so, are like, what is happening? Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, Another um, part of the book that I loved was when she was talking about she went to this dinner um, hosted by Elle magazine. Mm. And um, it was a dinner like basically recognizing dope ass women. And she said that every time that um, someone like extolled all of the great virtues of the women, the women did one of three things. Either she shook her head and like waved off the words like, nah, you know, I'm not really that great. Um, or she looked embarrassed, or she laughed. 
Mm. Which mm. is, I find myself doing number one a lot um, when people compliment me on like things that I've done well at work or just in general. I'm just like, no, it's nothing. It's not that good. And it's so we minimize our accomplishments so often and it's seen as humility or, you know, not having a big head and Shonda's like, fuck that. Mm-mm. Like stop minimizing what you're doing in order to seem like you're humble or not worthy of something like, no. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Like why, why can't like, like I, it's taken me a very long time to be able to graciously accept compliments mm-hmm. um, because it's so, um, it was so ingrained in me earlier. I mean, you know, like early in life to just be like, you know, oh no, you know, that's not me kind of downplay it a bit Mm -hmm. instead of just saying like you know oh you know thank you because just saying thank you doesn't mean you're saying like that's right I know I'm the shit right but a lot of people read it as that um a lot of women like kind of internalize it that way which is interesting to me I think so too and I think that I've had to tell people um you know especially younger women you know I always advise that I think we've advised that um to be certain in what you're saying. Um, it's okay to be sure of yourself. It's okay to say, um, you know, accept the compliment, which was what a big portion of this book was about. Accept it. Take it. You know, I also like, you know, words like, um, I don't know, somebody had wrote a review or was writing about this book and they said how they take out anything that is self, um, what's the word? Self-deprecating. Um, anything that kind of brushes off any sort of compliments like, oh, you know, you did blah, blah, blah. Oh, you know, it wasn't that hard. I have a tendency to do that. Like, that's oh, no big deal. I do, you know, it wasn't that hard or whatever. But not taking that compliment. And also taking out any sort of, like, emotion, emotional language out of your messages, especially when it has to do with your work. I think, I don't know, I feel maybe, possibly. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but, like, you know, and so... I think that kind of ties into that. It's really good advice, not just for young women, but all women, because all of us do it, you know. Um, even I find myself doing it. People are like, you have a lovely family. I'm like, oh. <laughs> they are. Thank you. My, all of the genes came together nicely. You know, <laughs> like, say those things. <laughs> Don't be afraid to, to take the, I mean, hell, you're running, you know, the biggest night of TV probably in 20 years that's your shit that's your block like you literally own thursday nights yeah what are you covering your face for what are you and i'm and i knew exactly what she's talking about because i remember in interviews she used to do that or you know they would have her on tv or something and she i remember she did a thing with oprah and she seemed like she didn't seem like shonda rhimes writer and producer and you know of shonda land she seemed like shonda rhimes personal assistant too. <laughs> like she was just like she was very just kind of eh, and I knew she was uncomfortable there but I'm thankfully for the year of yes you know she's come out of that so um, I liked the ending where she talked about her entertainment weekly cover I went and googled that cover because I didn't remember it and you can just see like the the difference between that picture and the pictures that she'd taken prior to the year of yes were just different just different Anyway, um, dang, is that I all we want to say? Something? Oh, I'm one sorry. last thing, real quick. 
I love that she um, chose every opportunity to stand for the Queen Bee. She did. <laughs> she did. And now when I say she did, I mean, there are plenty of, there's all kinds of Beyonce love sprinkled through Shonda's in the hive, so that's going to get under your skin. Don't read this book, because she's in the hive. <laughs> Firmly seated. I highlighted one part, because I just thought it was hilarious. She says, who in the name of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Queen Bee wants a meek chase timid woman? And I'm like, hey, man. Hey, man. You better name two of the baddest out you. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, you know... I don't know. I was very excited about those references as well. It's like it's in this entire book is like an ode to badassery without being sort of like trite or stale. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like yeah. when and, and that's another reason why I was like kind of on the on the fence about reading it too. Because you read about somebody saying, "Oh, you know, I took this year and I just said yes to everything," and you just undoubtedly believe like. Oh, here we go. Like, it's going to be these platitudes. And, and she took yoga. Way to go, Shauna. Right. Like, that's, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, of. I was really hoping that it was not like the Negro E. Pray Love. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. I was afraid to eat pizza before, and I ate pizza. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But no, that's not what she gave you. I highly recommend this book to anybody, really, but women especially. Um, I adored it. I think she did a phenomenal job in this book. Um, it did not disappoint. <laughs> so it gave me what I was hoping to get from uh, Mindy Kaling's first book. Mm. Because Mindy Kaling's first book was okay to me. It gave, it was a more, it wasn't like a humor book, but it was, it was in line. If you liked um, Yes, Please by Amy Poehler, um, you will love this book because it's like a little bit more serious um, <laughs> and more Beyonce driven than <laughs> the other book. Anyway, yes. It's that's also more real and relatable. Like, yeah, Shonda Rhimes didn't come off as capital S Shonda, capital R Rhymes. She came off as just like your homegirl who was ex exchanging, like, we're not exchanging, but like explaining like, yeah, girl, you know, I'm up here on top now, but it wasn't all sunshine and roses. Oh, one more thing. One more thing that she talked for, you know. Yes. It was very relatable, and I say that when you said homegirl, it made me think of her team, her crew, her three people, her people. Yes, her and folks. When she, when she talked about her really good friends, and then the friends who she had made into characters. So she had these people that were her friends and as she started to change, they started to change a little bit. And she was like, oh, so-and-so is really kind of, I felt like she was using me and da 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 And her real friends were like, oh, yeah, girl, it's been that way. And she didn't see it before. And it was because she felt like in her mind she had written them as, oh, you know, Deborah, whoever, she's the woman, she's the one that's always there for me in a pinch. And she had just wrote, you know, made that person that way. When Deborah wasn't that way at all to anybody else, they were like, actually, she's not. Um, and so I thought it was really cool how she talked about, and she puts pictures in of her three best friends and how, you know, they get her, they understand her, they're honest with her, um, and she can depend on them. And I thought that was really, really cool. As a person who was really admittedly bad at friendships, <laughs> um, who is working on being better at friendships, I thought that was really cool um 
Yeah, that's dope. Her, her ride or dies. Yeah, I have two <laughs> ride or dies, but otherwise, I'm just like, oh, okay, no, not <laughs> <laughs> like if you crazy or do any kind of weirdness, <laughs> done. If you <laughs> are constantly late to gatherings, done. <laughs> like I gotta do better. No, because that no that late shit. That's real life. Yeah, I know, but I like, gotta do better about being more ride or die myself because I am not. I get it. I won't ride for no nonsense, and Shonda is teaching me that that's okay. But then I also feel like it's okay for me to have my two or three woes, and that the rest of the people it are. It is, and yeah. then the rest of them let them fall where they may. There is a lot to learn from the year of yes, and it's not at all. If you're thinking, I don't want to read no book about how Shonda Rhimes' life is so good because she's rich. Like, this could have been written by a woman who is a receptionist. It could have been written by, I mean, not the parts about her doing Jimmy Kimmel, but you know what I mean, the <laughs> the parts about coming out of yourself um, and pushing yourself and um, – being okay with accepting praise and those type of things. Even her weight loss, I thought the, I love the way she framed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not saying no to all of these things that I love to eat. It was more saying yes to being healthier and to living for my girl. I love her approach. It was very, it was not centered in vanity, um, but more so her health and how can I be saying mm-hmm. that I, yeah, like these people are depending on me. And I want to see them grow up, so let me, you know, get my shit together. And, you know, she lost, what did she say, like 100, over 100 pounds? Yeah, over 100 pounds. Yeah, so very good book. Um, One of my favorites of the year, and I cannot say enough good things about it. I was pleasantly surprised. Me too. I went into this book with the most stank attitude, and it was erased, like I said, within like the first three to five pages. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I would definitely put this in my top five books I've read all year. Okay. Easily. So speaking of top five books we've read all year, you guys, a few people, one or two, have asked us (laughs) about um, a year-end list or some sort of Christmas list or I don't know, but you guys, if you if that's something you are interested in, uh, shout us a holler on the email or Twitter or wherever. Um, just let us know, like, what you think. Like, what would you want? Would you like a, a gift guide? Do you want to know our personal year end? Um, this is not a one year anniversary of our show, so I would like not like our best, like our best of of the show, but more like our personal. Like, maybe the book didn't come out this year, but we did read it this year type thing. Right. Um, I know we've tossed that around, but I just, like, I really don't know what to do with it. So maybe we should just do what the people want. Yeah, so let us know, guys. All right. It's been lovely. Lovely. We will. Oh, shoot. <laughs> one day I'm going to learn how to wrap this show. But we have one more segment called... Um, what are you reading? <laughs> oh, we could have skated right by it, but let's do it. What are you reading, Tamika? Um, two books. One I'm reading, um, the it's called Spotlight. Mm-hmm. Spotlight is based on the book, um, I mean, on the movie coming out. It is about the Boston Globe investigation of the Catholic priest scandal on the sexual abuse cover-ups that were happening there. Um 
it is the book is not the movie, but it is what they found. So it's kind of like not how they went about finding it and them uncovering this thing, but specifically mm-hmm. what they found. It's not necessarily a compilation of the articles um, that ran in the Boston Globe. I mean, that information is in there, but there's much more to it. Um, and it is phenomenal and kind of difficult to read. Um, I'm on a serious non-fiction kick. Um, so that's all I've been reading is non-fiction. Uh, and so that one is really good. The other one I'm reading is Five Days at Memorial. Um Five Days at Memorial is a trip. It is about Memorial Hospital um, during Hurricane Katrina. <sighs> it lost power. It flooded, um, and people died, and those decisions were made. So people died, right, of natural causes, but some people were killed. <laughs> um Maybe, possibly. So it's a, it's an investigation, like an investigative journalist piece by Sherry Fink. And then that other one, Spotlight, is just by the Boston Globe. If you want to read it, you just have to search that way. Yourself? I am not reading A Blessed Thing until uh, 2016. Good thing that I was reading, too. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I finished up my Goodreads Challenge on, like, Friday, and I decided that I'm not reading anything else this year. All right. Okay, <laughs> so, so we won't ask you that again next show. No, because it'll still be nothing. Oh, actually, I might be reading a textbook by then. All right, is there any, are you just read, are you done with books? Are you, tell me more about why this is happening. Um, I need a break. Okay. Um, uh, uh, so... Like every year, I set this Goodreads goal or whatever, and I try to meet it, and I usually meet it. This year, I kind of like cheated a little bit because, like, the last couple books I read were real short, whatever. But um, my brain just hurts from okay. this last class that I was in, and so <laughs> I decided I need a break. I don't know if I'll actually be able to live up to this whole I'm not reading anything else for the remainder of 2016 because there is like three more weeks left, and we all know that. I can't say no to a Kindle book on sale, so <laughs> mm-hmm. it's very likely um, that I may pick up a book sometime between now and the end of the year, but I'm not actively seeking out books to read. So. Okay. That's fair, and I think it's very healthy to say that that is okay. I think that sometimes, especially when you, um, I mean, in our case, we brand ourselves as book, you know, book people, and and people say I'm a book reader and I love it. I think that sometimes it can get really hardcore, especially if you're like in reading groups or you are, uh, you know, into the book internet, you know, deep. You look at book sites and listen to book podcasts and watch book people on YouTube, it makes you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not reading enough, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's okay to, to step back for a second and rest your brain. Yeah, like, I I, uh, I kind of, um, me and Lit are on a trial separation. I ended work book club. Um, the reason why I ended, you know why I ended work book club? I'm going to tell you real quick and then we can wrap up for real. Um, I ended work book club because of that goddamn book written with the dog. Um, from the point of view of the dog Mm -hmm. um and the last like two or three books that were chosen by people in the book club who obviously were not myself Mm -hmm. have been of that ilk Mm -hmm. and so i'm like okay maybe i thought we read similarly but we don't yeah i haven't told them but i've just been like oh girl they're like oh did you pick a book i'm like "Mm, well you know girl yeah well i mean that's also very 
you know, good. I think that's a good thing, though. If it's not for you, if it's not what you thought it was going to be, it's better for I mean, you we to had, say so. Yeah. We, had, we had a good run. Like, we had a good, like, 18 months. Yeah. But if they're not reading, like, I can't, I couldn't, there's, I've been invited to book clubs before, and I've had to say no, because it just, you're not reading what I'm reading, and I'm not going to, I don't want to read what you're reading, and it doesn't mean my books are better than yours, or your books are better than, it just. No, it just means that we ain't on the same wavelength, and we don't need to do this. Yeah. So. Well, shout, shouts to you for saying yes to no to book club. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. Uh, all right. Y'all in a week and a half, two weeks. Whatever. Yeah. Whenever. All, all right. right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>